Today I want to talk to you from the subject, a glimpse of God, a glimpse of God. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of Zacchaeus, and very famous story. The Bible says, um, Jesus, verse 1, entered Jericho, and he was just passing through. Jesus was on his way through Jericho, which is near Jerusalem, and, and he was headed towards Jerusalem for, fat, for the Passover, the Passion Week. He had just come from uh, outside the city where he healed blind Bartimaeus in that famous story, he, a man received his sight. And so when a healing like that happens, the whole city begins to hear of it. Not only is Jesus a towering figure at this time, all of the crowds have a feeling, have a sense that something's about to happen. The disciples know that when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he's either going to be the Messiah or they're going to kill him, that it, something serious is about to happen. The disciples know it. The Pharisees know it. The the crowd knows it, and all the while, right in here, the, the people that are with Jesus, there's one special man, Bartimaeus. The Bible says after he was healed, he followed Jesus down the road. So part of the crowd is someone that recently, like four, 40 minutes ago, received the healing, received their sight. Can you imagine a church service like that? When physical healings start happening, the faith is high, the expectation is high, the crowd is pressing towards Jesus, and the Bible says, he entered into the city of Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And all the short people said, amen. amen. <laughs> There's a lot of us around here. <laughs> so he ran on ahead. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I want you to know today, Jesus is about to pass this way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. There's that word. He used it last week with the Samaritan woman. He uses it again. I must this word always intrigues me when God says he has to do something. It's almost as if God has some principles that he's trying to lay out. It's almost as if this time was predetermined for Jesus by God, that this is a divine appointment for Jesus. He said, I must stay at your house today. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried and he came down and received him joyfully because when you when you, get, when you get called by Jesus when you don't deserve it, your reaction is joy. And when they saw it, they be in the crowd, they all grumbled, saying he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The question I have is what house could Jesus have chosen where he wouldn't be the guest of a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it right now fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus is saying this of himself, famous verse, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Here Jesus is presenting his purpose on planet earth. I came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we give this moment to you. God, we want your presence to come into this place. So come and speak to us right now, God. God, we thank you so much that you have, um, 
you have us in your sights today, and you're going to come right into our atmosphere. And today, God, you're calling us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 Jesus is headed to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and this would be that fateful Passion Week where the Last Supper took place. Jesus overturned the, uh, the tables of the money changers outside the temple. This is where he was betrayed at the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and eventually he was crucified, uh, a, a innocent man crucified uh, as a guilty man, and Jesus rose from the dead three days later. This precedes this by just a couple days. And so Jesus is walking up really to his final days as just um, the God-man on planet Earth before he conquers sin, death, and the grave and begins to receive his glorified body. This is an important moment. This is an important moment because it's coming, it's coming right to the end. And Jesus has some assignments that he has to fulfill before his season comes to a close. And, and the most important things usually are saved uh, for the end. Um, what was it said in his first miracle? You've saved the best wine for last. So as the last is coming, here comes the best wine. Some incredible healings, some incredible callings. And Jesus enters into the city of, of Jericho. Now Jericho is about a day and a half journey from Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is actually located up in the hills, up in the mountains. And Jericho is located in the, in the, the lowest place on planet Earth. And it's located in a desert, but it's, it's built around a spring and it's an oasis. And um, so it's, it's, it's like a tropical paradise and, it's, and it's, um, it's the oldest inhabited city, continuously inhabited city in the world is Jericho. It's been rebuilt and, and inhabited by different peoples for thousands upon thousands of years. At this time, it's a Levitical city, which means that all of the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, this is where they all live. But yet, it also is like a, a winter town where, where everyone would go to during the cold winter uh, because it has summer climate. And so Herod built his palace there. Rome built uh, incredible, um, um, uh, just, just, just incredible buildings there. And, and they've made it a center of their economic power because it had a lot of things that they could trade all over the world. So Rome viewed this place as valuable. And it's beautiful weather. When we were filming just a couple days ago uh, in Israel, I thought it was going to be a lot warmer because we're going to the Middle East. Apparently, the climate didn't get the memo. And it was colder there than it has been here, which I'm at my breaking point. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. And so, so we went there, and it literally one day was, was hailing. That's how cold it was. And it was, it was horrible, you know, raining and stuff like that. But one of the days when it was the coldest, luckily, we were headed down to Jericho, where it was absolutely stunning, the desert, and it was warm. Thank you, Jesus. That is the place that Jesus is entering into. And what's interesting is the intersection of all the different people that are there. You have the priests, you have the Roman government, and in between is this tax collector named Zacchaeus. He represents Rome to the people. And he was the most hated out of all because he was a Jewish man, but yet he wasn't on the side of the Jewish people. He was actually 
representing Rome to his own brothers, his own sisters, his own cousins, his own family. And he was, he was taking taxes from the Jewish people to give to Rome, but the Bible says he was rich. And the only way to get rich as a tax collector is to take more taxes than Rome actually is demanding. And, and if you know anything about the Roman government, they were very oppressive to people that they, uh, that they had in, within their empire to begin with. And this man is upping the oppression upon his own people. He was a traitor in their eyes. He was a betrayer in their eyes. I mean, you think you don't like the IRS. This guy was the IRS for another nation, and he was adding on more and there's nothing you could do about, about it. And so he was stealing from his own family to enrich himself. This is the worst kind of person. But more than that, he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief. In other words, every other tax collector, they worked for him. So, so this guy is essentially at the head of the mafia, oppressing his own people, receiving money from them, his tax collectors, and rep representing Rome. And he lives in Jericho, he's in a place of prestige, he, he, his house would be high up on the hill. He was rich. He had influence. And in, into this situation walks Jesus. What I love about Jesus is that he doesn't bypass Jericho, even though he could. He walks right into the middle of, of tense situations. High-level political disagreements Jesus walks right into the middle of. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He is not afraid of doubt. He's not afraid of disagreement. He's not afraid of nervousness. He, he is not afraid of you disagreeing with him. Jesus walks right into the middle of all of this mess. You know, the Pharisees don't like Jesus. The common people love Jesus. They think he's gonna overthrow Rome. Zacchaeus is representing Rome, but he wants to see Jesus. And you just see this whole convoluted web and Jesus is chilling right in the middle of it. Not nervous. I, I want you to know it doesn't matter how broken your situation is, how messed up, how confusing, Jesus does not avoid it. He'll walk right into the middle of it. He'll walk right into the middle of the, the depths of your brokenness. He'll walk right into the middle of confusing situations that you caused. He'll walk right into the middle of it. This is who Jesus is. Here's what you have to understand. Zacchaeus represents us, but this story, it's not about Zacchaeus, it's all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's Jesus that decides I'm gonna pass through their life. It's Jesus that decides I'm gonna walk right up to them. It's Jesus that, that begins to have divine appointments with you, and I'm telling you, this is why God brought you here today. It was not to just hear another good sermon or to get a little laugh or to see someone you haven't seen in a while. The reason you are here today is because God brought you here because he has something to say to you. He's gonna speak. And, and I want you to know what you're gonna hear today is different than the person sitting next to you because it's not just me speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking and he'll speak right into the midst of your situation. And even if you're watching online, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's gonna speak, speak right into the middle of your situation. He's gonna speak differently even to all the different nations joining us because Jesus is, 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 is able to relate to all people in all ways, it's amazing. Jesus walks right into the middle of this tense situation and Zacchaeus hears of it. He hears that this radical rabbi, this man of the people is on his way. And, and he heard that a great miracle had happened just outside the walls of Jericho. And so he decides to come down from his house on the hill and try and just get a glimpse of God. He just wants to see Jesus. But the Bible says because he was short, 
small of stature, he was unable to see Jesus. Not talk to Jesus, not hang out with Jesus, not receive prayer from Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't even see Jesus. Couldn't even get a glimpse of God when he was walking into his hometown. He's trying to look over the crowd, but the Bible says, not only is short, the Bible actually says he's small of stature. And, and kind of buried within that phrase is not only physical shortness, but he's small of stature amongst his own people. They're not going to help this guy. They're not going to make the way for this guy. And anybody in here that is height deficient understands what it's like to be in an event where you can't see. Or if you have to reach the Cheerios, but it's high. And you, you know, you look dumb. Here's Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus, but he's unable to, to reach him. Romans says all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just his problem. This is a human problem. The reality is we're all of small stature. The reality is we all physically are unable to reach God. We don't have the strength. We don't have the influence. We don't have the stature. We don't have the ability to get God's attention. Our good works can't get his attention. Our, our lifestyle can't get us to him. Anything we would try and engineer can't get us any closer to God than than. than then where Zacchaeus got? We are physically separated because of sin. Sin literally separates God and man. In other words, man couldn't get to God. It had to be God to come to man. And we see that Zacchaeus, unable to oversee, begins to devise a plan. How can I possibly see God? And, and he begins to, to, to search out ways around this problem. And this is so much like humanity. So much of humanity is just searching for God, searching for a glimpse of God, and it's doing all it can to devise ways around this problem that we know in our heart that we're separated from God. We know that we can't get to him on our own. So we try and seek out gurus. People will spend Millions of dollars, sell everything they have, fly to India, join a commune to get a guru because maybe this person knows something about God that I don't. I'll do whatever it takes to find my way. We spend thousands of dollars. We get on an airplane. We go to a conference to listen to a motivational speaker because maybe he can help me fix what's wrong with me because I'm physically deficient. I'm short in a certain area. I, I can't, I just can't seem to get past this. I, I just can't seem to get unaddicted. I, I just can't seem to get my relationships right. But, but, but I know God has the answer. If I could just get a glimpse of God, if I could just see him, it would make sense of me. We know deep in our heart, buried deep within us is this instinct that says, find God and you'll find yourself. It's in our DNA. It's, 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 it's like the North Star in our, in our cerebral hemisphere. It begins to guide our mind. Find God, and you'll begin to figure out who you are. The problem is all of man's effort leads us no closer to God than when we began. All of, all of our effort and all of our pushing and all of our trying, the Bible says that Zacchaeus runs up ahead of God. He, he maps out a place where he thinks God might pass by, and he literally begins to climb a tree. You've got to understand, that is not what rich Jewish men do. They don't run. They don't climb trees. That's what the kids do, but, but not, not upstanding citizens. But he's willing to endure humiliation 
He's that desperate to just see God. You got to get to a point where you are so desperate for God. You don't care what it looks like. You don't care what it sounds like. I don't care what song they play. I don't care what the preacher preaches. I need God. I don't care what my cousins say. I don't care what they say on Facebook. I don't care if my coworkers make fun of me. I need God. And seeing that you can't save me, I can't go to you. In fact, you might be a part of the problem. You might be a part of the crowd. One of the things that has kept me from God for so long. We read books. We search out articles. We go to universities. We're doing scientific experiments all to somehow try and search out God. We visit past civilizations and we go to ancient temples. We go across the world and to just get a glimpse of him. We'll meditate. Because if we can't find him in the universe, maybe we can find him within ourselves. But the reality is, no matter what you do, you end up right where you started. No closer to God than when you began. You physically cannot get close to God because there's something between you and him that will always cause separation. And there's nothing you can do to overcome this. No amount of effort, no amount of climbing. It's amazing, Zacchaeus. He tries to problem solve. You see a streak of an entrepreneur in him. I I like this. You know, you see the thing that made him rich, like an unstoppable nature begins to rise up, an innovation. And and I do think God will use the very things he put in you to bring you close to him. You know what I love about Zacchaeus? It's, It's really just curiosity that leads him to Christ. And God's all right with that. God, in fact, I believe puts that curiosity in you. He'll have you begin to ask questions. Why is this like this? What's wrong with me? What's going on with humanity? And these are breadcrumbs that will lead you to Christ. God uses the innate curiosity of mankind to say, have you figured out that you're not enough yet? Have you figured out that no one else can make a way for you yet? Have you figured out that you need something beyond? And this is, we see Zacchaeus going through this process and And all of the things that made him rich, all of the things that got him to the top, all of his social climbing, all all of his stepping on on other men in order to get higher, we see him try and do this to get to God. But that's not what brings him to God. Because getting up in that tree, you're still a million miles away from heaven. It had to be God that left heaven and came to earth. It had to be God that, that literally decided to walk that way because the reality is no matter all in all of your searching and all of your seeking you can't get any closer to God it has to be God that chooses to get close to you and I do think he honors that searching I do think he answers those prayers but I believe even that those questions even that desire that's placed in you by God it's all God it's all Jesus all the way through you got to understand this It's all Jesus. So Zacchaeus runs out ahead and he climbs up onto the tree and he's looking for Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus came to that place, came to the appointed spot. And he looks up and he he sees the searching man, the man that has a searching soul. And he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down from that tree? Why don't you come down from that place? What's God doing? He's calling him down from his man-made efforts. Why don't you come, come away from that pride that you've built up? 
Why don't you come away from all of those works you think are going to get you somewhere? Well, why don't you come down and just be with me? You think you're in a high place over mankind, but you're still so far. Just come to me. See, it was Jesus that extended the invitation. It was Jesus. Jesus says, come down, Zacchaeus. He said, because I must stay at your house today. We see Jesus wanting friendship with Zacchaeus. And this isn't the first time he's done this. The Pharisees are already mad at Jesus because he's always eating with sinners. In fact, Matthew, who's part of the 12 disciples, he was a tax collector too. And, and, and it's just kind of the crew that Jesus walks with. And, and now he's, he's going to add Zacchaeus into this crew. He says, I want, I want to eat dinner with you. Isn't it amazing that Jesus doesn't call him a sinner, doesn't say to repent, doesn't say the Ten Commandments at him. He says, hey, can we grab some food? One of the most spiritual things you could ever do is have dinner with someone. In fact, it's amazing how much of Christianity was created around a table. How much of it was created around dinner. In fact, the Last Supper was just that. Supper. And they were eating good food. And Jesus said, hey, when you have supper like this, remember what I did for you. I died so that you would be able to have unity. How good is it when brothers and sisters dwell in unity together? I died so that you can come together as one. I died so that I could bring you together around a table. You leave your differences aside. You're united in Jesus Christ. And it's difficult to be angry with someone when you're sharing hummus with them. It's difficult, to, it's, it's difficult to not talk to someone when you're sitting across the table from them. Jesus is bringing people together, and he says, let's just start with the great uniter, Jesus and food. I don't, I don't know if you're getting this, but crews are a powerful, ancient concept. It's not just something we're doing because it's cool and we want to hang out. No, you find it in the book of Acts. You find it in Jesus' ministry. In fact, most of the greatest parables Jesus told, in fact, most of the greatest sermons he ever preached happened around a dinner table. Because, because Jesus understands that before you can change uh, men's hearts, before you can really get to their soul, you, just, you have to be able to be open and friendly and kind with them. And so you see Jesus say, I want to I have dinner with you. This past Friday night, my wife and I, we went on a date. We go on dates every single Friday night. And I want to just give that as a free, someone went, woo, thank you. <laughs> Celebrating my marriage dates. Uh, I just want to give that as a free pro tip to all of you that um, uh, after you get married, that doesn't mean you stop dating. I'm just telling you, marriage is a lot easier when you have a specified date night that your kids can't screw up. I'm just giving it for free. It's going to help you. It's worth whatever the cost, right? And so uh, we were going to one of the places that we like in Providence, and uh, as we're pulling up, we see some people from our church that we know, hey, what's up? We're saying hi to them. They're going to crew. And so as they're leaving, we see some people that were gathering at the, uh, for crew at the place we were going to eat. They actually left that place, and they went to go eat somewhere else, and then we have dinner, and we heard of another crew across the street. So once we're done, we go up, we say what's up to their crew, and they're having godly discussions, you know, about like, uh, I think it was like uh, worship and Kanye West, deep theology, you know? And... Um, 
We hang out with them. We're, we're leaving that place. We see another group of people having crew in this other location. We, oh, what's up? We go, we say hi to them. Someone who comes to our church but has been away uh, in the Philippines for six weeks notices us. She says hi. She comes over. It's like the church has taken over the city. Everywhere we went. And I, I love to see the thousands of people that gather on Sunday morning, but can I tell you, I love it even more to see the few gathering around a table on Friday night, Saturday morning, Tuesday night, Thursday night. And if you haven't been a part of a crew, I'm telling you, you're missing something that Jesus established as the heart of Christianity, where you just live life with people, where you enjoy each other's company, where you support each other, you pray for each other. It's just something about it. I pray more and more people start crews and join crews in our church because they don't see it as something else. I hope you see it as, as one of the pillars to making a healthy community because Jesus did. Jesus is about to save this man's soul. And what does he do? He invites himself over for dinner. Which I like that part, you know. But Jesus knows I'm God and you want me to come over, you know. When you do it, you're not God and I don't know if they want you to come over. You're not Jesus, I don't know. Jesus invites himself over to dinner. What an honor. And all of a sudden, the crowd begins to grumble. The crowd begins to complain. Him? Doesn't Jesus know who he is? He's the one that oppressed us. That, that, that dinner that Jesus is going to eat, he stole that off my table. Him? No way. Certainly, there's got to be someone better than him. Doesn't he know? He's supposed to be God. We're thinking he's the Messiah. Doesn't he know? That's the worst sinner in Jericho. And he's going to go be the guest of that guy? Doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you, grace makes no sense. It's not logical. Grace is illogical. It's not fair. Mercy is unfair. Thank you, Jesus. Because if it was all about being fair, none of us would be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. All of us shouldn't have had Jesus over. And that's, that's who Jesus is because he's trying to prove I think a couple different things. One of them, I think, is that he's trying to prove that no one is too far gone from me. No one's past can ever keep me away from them. And, 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 and so he does it by, by inviting himself over. And the crowd is really not having it. And, and they're frustrated and they're grumbling and they're complaining. And, and you know, I, in this moment, I got to thank God that he didn't choose me based on everyone else's opinion. I thank God that he didn't come after me after he crowdsourced who he should save next. I, I, I just got to thank God that he didn't let his people's ideology overcome his love for the individual. Did you know that you can love someone you don't agree with? Did you know that? Did you know you can have a conversation with them even if they voted for someone else? Did you know you can have dinner with someone that you don't necessarily click with on every single level? Jesus isn't letting the crowd tell him what love looks like. Jesus isn't letting the condemners tell him. Which, thank God, because you know something about the crowd? It's always wrong. The crowd says, we need a king. And God says, I'm your king. No, 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 we need someone else. We need Saul. Look at him. He's tall. He's stately. He's going to be a great king. And they chose the people's version of a king. And Saul never once acted like a king. So God had to step in and say, the crowd chose wrong. So I'm going to choose someone with my heart. Man always looks at the outward, the past. Man looks at the guilt. 
Man looks at the shame. Man looks at the situation. Jesus is going to his house. Jesus, you're wasting your time. I've witnessed to them before. I know them pretty well. You're wasting your time. They're not our type. And you're coming up on the cross. You might want to make every dinner count. Jesus comes to do unexpected miracles with unexpected people in unexpected places. He does it then. I'm telling you, he does it now. He does it now. And so Jesus denies what the crowd thinks. And he, again, he's looking at the heart. He, see, Zacchaeus, he was physically unable and, and his past would say that he's the wrong guy, but there was something in Zacchaeus's heart that stopped God. Remember at the beginning of the story, the Bible says he was just passing through Jericho, but yet something stopped him in Jericho. It was a heart that was desperate for God. Let me tell you, when your heart is desperate, it stops God. When your heart is desperate, it stops him in his tracks. He will never walk by a desperate heart. He will never, ever uh, let a, a call for him go unanswered. And so though Zacchaeus didn't say a word, his heart was shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the crowd didn't get it, but Jesus was doing something so much greater than humanity. He was doing something eternal. And the, the response of the crowd was frustration, but the response of Zacchaeus was joy. He couldn't believe what was happening. Do you remember the joy of your first salvation? You couldn't believe that they let you in this church. You couldn't believe that you were feeling things that you never thought you'd feel again, that he's healing areas you never thought would be healed. In fact, you never even talked about, but they are so deep. But yet he began to heal it. You're not there yet, but I'm, I'm filled with joy because I'm not who everyone said I was gonna end up as. Jesus called me by my name. Zacchaeus means pure one. The most corrupt man, his name means pure one, but when Jesus called him, he said, pure one. He restores his true identity, not pure because of anything he's ever done, pure because of everything Jesus has done. Pure one. Jesus says, blessed are the pure, for they will see God. Pure one. You were searching for a glimpse of me, now you're gonna meet me. What's Zacchaeus' response? His response is to stand in the middle of dinner, you don't see Jesus tell Zacchaeus, all right, now that I came over, here's the rules. <laughs> Big scroll. You don't see Jesus condemn Zacchaeus now. You don't see him pull him aside and say, now Zacchaeus, you know I really shouldn't be here, right? None of that. You see Jesus calls Zacchaeus and then you see the crowd's response, but then you see Zacchaeus' response. In the middle of dinner, he stands up and says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm gonna give half my goods to the poor. Instantly. I'm gonna give half of everything I have to those who need it. What's amazing is he's saying this to Jesus because it's because of Jesus that he's gonna do this. Not because of the law, not because of rules, not because of the Pharisees. He lived his whole life in the city of the Pharisees and yet he never gave anything to the poor. It wasn't because of law, rule, regulations, or, or, or even the Torah. It was because the word of God himself made flesh. It's when he actually had an encounter with God that his heart changed. What the law couldn't change about his mind, Jesus changed about his heart. So he says, I'm gonna give half away to the poor, I'm gonna be generous. But then he goes even further and he says, and I'm going to bring restitution to all those I stole from. I'm gonna give them back what I stole fourfold. What's interesting about that is that the Romans had a law. 
that whenever they found one of their tax collectors stealing more taxes than Rome was wanting to receive, they would make that tax collector restore what they took times four. Here is Zacchaeus. He hasn't been caught by the Roman law. You know, there's no evidence against him. But he stands up and says, I'm going to do what the law is calling me to do. Even though the law could never force me to do it, I've experienced grace. And grace has moved me to good works. So sometimes people say, well, you gotta gotta be careful when you talk about mercy and grace because people will think that they can get away with anything once they've experienced it. No, no, when you really experience grace, when you really experience Jesus, when he comes to your home, when he never should have come to your home, your response is never to sin more. Your response is never to steal more. When you really, really get his mercy, character begins to rise up. Where there was none. The thing that law could never make me do, I will willingly do for Jesus. The thing that humans could never make me do, I will willingly do because Jesus changed my heart. It's out of my heart flows grace because I've experienced grace. And so character begins to rise up and Goodness begins to rise up and restitution begins. A love of his neighbor begins to rise up when he meets Jesus. When you experience his mercy, that's what changes your heart. When you experience his amazing grace, that's what leads you away from sin. Not me preaching more rules at you. Have you read this? Come on! Would never change you. The word will change you. But my rules will never change you. Even we know this. The laws of our lands can't change the heart of mankind. But Jesus, when he interacts with people, he changes their heart every single time. He does what rules, law, regulation, Rome. He does what the authorities could never do in one dinner. When you meet Jesus and you experience his mercy, do you keep going on sinning? Of course not. Of course not. It's grace that leads us to repentance. And we see that he repented because he changed. Because, you know, that's what repentance means. It means change. Repentance doesn't mean I felt bad. Repentance doesn't mean I said I'm sorry. Repentance means a changed life. He stood up and he said, I'm making a change right now. And Jesus said, salvation has entered this home. You got to understand it. Salvation didn't enter the home because of what the man did. The man did what he did because salvation entered. When Jesus entered the home, salvation entered the home. When Jesus entered the home, mercy entered. And let me tell you, when he enters your home, salvation enters your home. I believe you don't have to live in a broken home. You can live in a home filled with salvation, mercy, love. He can change the very atmosphere of your home, of your life, of your heart and your soul. And Jesus said, today salvation has entered into the home. Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Will you come to him? But you gotta come to him like a little child. Zacchaeus climbing the tree like a little child. Jesus says, that's who the kingdom goes to. The ones that are unashamed. The ones that aren't nervous about people's opinions. I'm gonna gonna give the kingdom to people that have childlike faith. Today salvation has come into this home. And then it's amazing he even restores him in society just because Jesus does care even about the next step for him. He says, by the way, this is a son of Abraham. 
Because see, the accusations against tax collectors was that you weren't a real Jew. You're not really one of us. And Jesus says, no, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. He restored his national identity as he restored his supernatural identity. Jesus brings wholeness all the way through. And this is when Jesus tells us his purpose. He says, this is why I came to earth, to seek and to save that which was lost. All of Zacchaeus' running and trying and effort didn't get him close to God. It was all God. He seeked Zacchaeus out. He saved his soul. He's the one that came from him. And let me tell you, he comes for you today. 